calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I recently got a fan letter from someone who said they had actually identified as a lesbian their whole life, and now they realized through my posts and things I write about that they actually identify as pansexual. Oh, was that Melody? That's my origin. Oh, yeah, it was. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No. <laughs> and I do appreciate your reply. I'm diking out. You're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Diking out. Diking out. Diking out. Welcome to Diking Out, a podcast hosted by two women without electricity, just looking for some excitement with someone of the same sex. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm Melody Kamali, and today we're diking out with actress Natasha Negovanlis about bi-pan myths. Ooh, like how pansexuals aren't people attracted to actual pans? Exactly. Yeah, go figure. Well... Uh, I am finally starting to unpack my belongings, which means I'm hoping, Melody, that next week we can have some actual announcements and start putting on some fun virtual shows again. Uh, We know you, you haulers love those. And once I get my shit together, I bear the responsibility for us uh, not doing as much lately. But in the meantime, you know, this week for an announcement, I just want to give a shout out to There Is No Mountain. That is the band who does our theme song, two of the best people you'll ever meet. And they have loads of great music that you can check out. Yes. Happy (laughs) Valentine's Day, Carolyn. Oh, happy Valentine's Day. And to all those who celebrate. Right. Yeah. Great way to celebrate by recording a podcast. (laughs) With my work wife. Oh, my goodness. The only way I'm celebrating. (laughs) We're otherwise not doing anything. I woke Allie up this morning by saying happy Valentine's Day. And she never really tries to wake up. It takes a few attempts when I do. Um, try to shake her awake, but her eyes flew open <laughs> because she realized it was Valentine's Day. So it's safe to say we're not doing anything today. 
Right, right. I approached Cecilia this morning and I said, I hope it's understandable that I didn't get you anything for Valentine's Day. And she's like, didn't even need to mention it. Yeah, that is well understood. (laughs) Uh, But what we did do was watch a new uh, lesbian movie that uh, came out in theaters for now and will be streaming on March 2nd. And that is The World to Come. Yes. um, Well, we attended a virtual screening, and I'm glad it's out so soon so we can talk about it on the following podcast because I've got some thoughts. Yeah, there's, you know, we, we talked about it when we saw the preview. Just so everybody knows, it is a film that was directed by Mona Fassvold and stars Vanessa Kirby and Katherine Waterston in the lead roles of Tally and Abigail. And it was a movie that was based on a short story written by Jim Shepard, and it was adapted into a screenplay by two men whose name I do not know. Surprise, surprise. And yeah, we saw the movie. I'm going to say my first impression is that it exceeded my expectations based on the preview. Oh, absolutely. So we had, um, (laughs) I'd known about this screening and I kind of assumed I wouldn't be watching. (laughs) I was ready to take one for the team. I was like, Melanie, you absolutely do not need to watch this slow burn, old timey, white lesbian movie. I will... I will do that for the both of us. I said the white co-host will watch it and cover it on the podcast because I've had enough. That's my beat. <laughs> uh, but I, I did put it on in the background, so I didn't really pay attention. But then I just, like, every time I'd glance over, I was like, wait a minute, this is gorgeous. And yeah. maybe, like, a third of the way in, I actually, like, sat down and was like, okay, I'm watching this. Um and I, it did exceed my expectations. It was directed by a woman. So yes. that's good, even though it was written by that two helped. men and produced yeah. by Casely Affleck. Um, <laughs> it was um, stunning. It was gorgeous. I, it was very well done. Yeah. So we must say that. I thought it was actually going to be about like frontier uh, lesbians. So it, it's two um, women who are married to men they are living in what's upstate new york so probably not too far from where i live right now which was like a little bit exciting because it reminded me of like ooh maybe this is like the predecessor of the lesbians who uh, used to live in my house you know yeah. and the and the <laughs> house that they live in like the outside shot i'm like oh my gosh this kind of looks like our house a little bit and like the surrounding area so cecilia and i were just pretending it was like more of the mythology of our very gay house and <laughs> that it. really uh pulled us in Cecilia was into it from the start as she often is with these movies but she was like excited she was there for it I was really skeptical because it's like the first scene where these women see each other it's like immediately like they catch each other's eyes and they like can't stop staring and it's just like really like Oh my, like, I just saw my soulmate and I'm locking eyes with them. I'm like, this never happened. These are just like two it women. It was across a each other. big distance, too. A big, like, <laughs> it was like, like two you football fields. can't see each other. <laughs> two football fields. And I know the, uh, that Tally has gorgeous hair, uh, gorgeous red curly hair in this, but yeah. Like, that was a, a very long gaze. So I'm like, this feels very contrived, uh, very forced. But 
then it kind of delves into like this uh, friendship and they're like inseparable and there's lots of longing and, um, you know, they're both in marriages that for various reasons, they're obviously very uh, not happy with and going through their own things. The setup too, like right in the beginning, um, Abigail's character, she, it starts off telling how she like lost her child. So I'm like, all right. So we have the, a very sad woman and then she finds happiness and a lesbian fling. You know, I, I was just so skeptical about it, but then like, as the story builds the chemistry between the two of them is actually really good. And it's like really yes. a beautiful story of both friendship and love and companionship and, um, just kind of like what it might have been like for women during that time and what it was like to be a wife and have these duties and be just like very isolated in like an upstate New York winter. I don't know. I, but by the end I was like, I think this was a, a good movie. Yes, me too. Yeah, and I, I um, even noticed that the stream on the virtual screening was still live for the next day. So I did go back and watch the beginning. So I watched it from beginning to end. And I do like this film. But then we both stayed after for the Q&A and we're texting each other. Yes. So all night about it. <laughs> so let's get into it. Yes. <laughs> I was a half hour ahead of you. You started the yeah. stream uh, a little later than me. So I saw what was probably the gayest moment in a film screening q and I have ever seen and I was just right. waiting by my phone for you to catch up so we could discuss <laughs> because like you said there is palpable chemistry between these actresses like yeah. it is so good and this is the last question in the Q&A we talk about <laughs> the direction and the you know how they got to milk cows and train for their frontier life. It's moderated by a writer from Variety. And she goes, did you two know each other? It's Catherine Watterson is the actress. And then the woman, Vanessa plays, Kirby, oh, Vanessa Kirby, who's in the crown. Yeah. Who's actually pretty silent in this Q and a, I was waiting for her to speak and she kept getting cut off which was annoying. She's silent, but also, can I just say, like her resting face? Oh, yeah. It was, and, she's and in a she's black like turtleneck every... leaning against a wall and just kind of like... she's She just like serves this look yeah. and it's in all her interviews and it's just, I don't even know how to describe it, but it it is a look that's It's a look, it's a stoic, it but like penetrating stare. Like, yes. It's like <laughs> really crazy hot. Um, yeah. So she, she, the two women are asked, do you, did you two know each other? Did you have time to rehearse uh, beforehand? Or does this dance you do on screen happen to bring it to life? And yeah. there is this crazy pregnant pause of them just like awkwardly squirming, smiling and not answering. The smile of Catherine Waterston it was like, I. It was like a kid being asked, "Did you take the candy from the candy yeah. jar when I told you not to?" It was just this like, mm, me, me. Right. <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah. It, it was like, it was like pause and then like this smile spreading and then like this Cheshire like Cat very smile. Nervous, <laughs> nervous giggle. And then uh, Vanessa Kirby just like looking really self-assured, like I'm not giving away anything. And left her on her own to stutter through an answer. It was just like, I mean, we just got along right away and I just like her so much. And she just goes on to just like rambling, rambling, like trying to justify how the chemistry and and then kind of backtracking being like, well, I don't know. I think it was just the script after another pause of her being like, but she's so great. And I love her as an actress. And then she goes, but you know what? no, I'm not so sure it really matters how much I love her. Does this hard pivot and then just like blames the script for their amazing Yeah, yeah, that the script is responsible for the chemistry, which is not it. So I texted Melody. I was like, so dot, 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 they fucked? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like the very strong impression that these two may be off screen and I'm happy to start that rumor. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) After seeing that Q&A, Oh, man. I did notice actually an hour ago, Valerie Complex, past guest, amazing film critic, had interviewed interviewed them. them. So there's um, like a five minute interview about how they both saw their characters' emotional journeys, which is up on pride.com. And that's pretty good. Everyone's sharing that, you know. Catherine Watterson, this pull quote from an interview where she's saying, I would love to have made this film five times. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And also that she had read the Ann Lister book, she mentions, to do some research for the role. I've started this this morning. Today, I'm just mining Twitter for more gay clues about Catherine Watterson. (laughs) Recently divorced? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) recently divorced from from a man so maybe after these these scenes right right i watched her struggle to answer that question about five times and i had a i had to call cecilia in from the other room because she like left during the q a i was like no no, come back here (laughs) and tell me what this says to you and she's like oh my god they did it (laughs) (laughs) it's like they totally did it if cecilia's saying it if pure cecilia who's not like cecilia's picking up on it yeah Yeah. because we start we reach a lot of the time here right (laughs) right she 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 definitely saw it so this movie has sparked like a lot of different reactions uh, especially you know a lot of jokes or comments from the community about like oh another movie starring like two white women with no electricity why is this so you know and like their husbands are there why do we keep getting this story and then there was um an article on out.com that was written by may rude and may has written a lot for autostraddle before and writes for a lot of publications and uh, has a lot of great stuff so this is nothing about or nothing against May, but the uh, title of this article was um, We Have Enough Tragic White Lesbian Period Romances, Move On. But, like, the picture has, like, Bly Manor in it. I'm like, okay, (laughs) yeah, I'm like, Bly Manor is, like, a different category. And then 
as I was reading the examples and kind of thinking on it, because it is my gut reaction when I see a preview like this. I'm like, oh, another one. But then I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, some of these like Wild Nights with Emily and Ammonite and Gentleman Jack, like these are stories about actual women, uh, some of them whose sexuality was erased by history and filmmakers are trying to like reclaim them in film form. So I don't want us to like not tell these stories. I would just like to add on. Right. And have more opportunities for more diverse people to tell more stories set in present day would be nice because it is crazy to think like of all the the queer content that's been made since the 90s, how much of it is set back like at least 60 years ago. (laughs) I'm glad that Carol exists. You know, I'm glad disobedience exists. I'm glad that that. You know, the favorite exists. I just want more of the other stuff. But I don't think we have to say, like, stop this. You know? It's just, like, more please and more different. Yeah. But that's just my take on it. I don't know. And also, don't put Bly Manor in that category. Yeah. No Bly Manor on the main picture. I mean, it's also just a very short, biased little blurb. It's not like a full critique and review of the actual film it's just like yeah it's seeing white i mean yeah it's just it's what we always say right yeah yeah it it just struck me as like a weird thing that was supposed to be maybe a review of the film and then it wasn't and then it was just like stop making these movies i'm like oh yeah but you know different movies have different things to offer and like how many movies do straight people have that are period pieces and then also to say stop making like tragedies like that's love stories either end in like tragedy or happy ending like that's the conflict that's the drama so to be like stop making the i i'd be so bored if every lesbian movie was was like a happy ending happy ending i mean i think that about film in general but right like yeah, I can't wait until like decades from now where we're just like, God, can't one of them just die? <laughs> or like, <laughs> like we're just going to get to a right. point after all this backlash where it is just like dykes of all different shapes and sizes <laughs> ending right. up happily ever after <laughs> in their polyamorous, <laughs> multiracial stories. <laughs> I, like, Ammonite wasn't even a tragedy. Like, just because they don't end up together doesn't mean it's a tragedy. The like, tragedy is we we spent $20 to rent it. That's the tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never get and over And they it. don't even let you keep the scene. Yeah. If, if it was, like, $20, but you permanently own that, like, four minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then that would have been a bargain. <laughs> is that on YouTube yet? Uh, anyway. <laughs> Anyway, you know, some more current news. uh, If we want to switch into present day queer community, have to mention that Joe McDaniel from a recent episode who was running a league of her own in Washington, D.C., announced shockingly, shockingly, like a week or so after the interview, we had no clue this was coming, that she was leaving uh, her role at a league of her own. So we don't know what the future is of that bar. Hopefully they can find somebody who is awesome and as committed to creating uh, safe spaces 
um, for the queer community to run it. But what is exciting is that Joe and Rach Coach Pike (laughs) have created As You Are, which is a virtual safe space for our community that is uh, inclusive and is having all sorts of virtual events going on in COVID. And then hopefully once the pandemic is over, I'm assuming we'll open as a real physical space. But for right now, you can follow as you are on Instagram, as you and are get bar. all the deets, as you are bar, and find out about the events that they're putting on. And it's a great way to like organize uh, meetups, do do dates through that. It's a cool community, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Yes, do dates, <laughs> do dates. <laughs> Just so. So locked in quarantine for so long that we don't know how to talk, especially about anything social. Just go out and do dates and have a blast. You know, the cool thing about um, a virtual lesbian bar or a virtual queer inclusive lesbian bar is that you can, you know, attend these events and have sex in your own bathroom and not get thrown out. Yeah. So you can have the bathroom sex and the queer hangouts. Oh, my God. I'm going to do it. I'm going to join a virtual event, and then I'm going to DM Joe and be like, Allie's inside <laughs> me right now, and there's nothing you can do to stop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As you'll recall. Yeah, try hand-checking this, very Joe. good at keeping her bar patrons <laughs> outside of each other and... With a virtual space, I'm ready to really creep it up. (laughs) Yeah. We're not going to wear anything from the waist down to these virtual events. And that's a threat. (laughs) Oh, man. Speaking of uh, Allie being inside you, Melody, what's the gayest (laughs) thing you did this week? Oh, well, since we're not allowed to talk about sex, I won't. Just kidding. We didn't have sex this week. Um, <laughs> it is just, it's not, it's, it's, it's February. It's a COVID February. I didn't, yeah. I didn't think it could get so bad, but like with the slush and the, ugh, the weather, I'd have to say the gayest thing I did this past week was arrange a FaceTime call between my cat and my dad's new kitten. Yay! <laughs> What's the kitten's name? Bella. And that's because it rhymes with Stella. They tried to have a kitten a few years ago. My dad was too allergic. And this is how bad the pandemic has been for them. They don't care anymore. My dad is so allergic and they're doing it again. And now they have baby Bella, four month old kitten. Um. (laughs) Oh, so it's not named after the Twilight character? No, no, no. Okay. It's named after the cat they had to get rid of, who was named after Stella Artois the beer. <laughs> My mom loves oh, right. Stella. <laughs> um, so cute. Um, I've told you my dad has like developed a huge addiction to TikTok um over this last year, and all those viral cat videos got to him. He is so allergic, but he loves this cat, and he's taking so many allergy medications all day, every day to really maximize his love for his new best friend. So cute. Um, How did the FaceTime work? Did they look at the camera at all? Were they uh, phased? I think kittens are really into like their reflections and just like look, they'll pay attention. So the kitten was into it, but my cat was not. Um, 
So that was fun. I mean, like, I'm scraping at the bottom of the barrel. It's just, I don't do anything anymore. But Hey, a, a cat FaceTime is very gay. That's gay. I also, um, I just realized because um, this morning, the Daily Podcast by the New York Times is about robocallers and, like, scam callers. And that's so funny because I have spent specifically this last week unleashing all of my, like, pandemic rage on these callers. Like, normally, you just let it go to voicemail, you reject the call, whatever. Like, I'm actually, like, a psycho picking up every single one of these calls. If I miss one, I call it back. Um, But I'm answering just, like either full of sarcastic rage where I'm just like, oh, this I gotta hear. Like, <laughs> oh, no, no, you gotta, you gotta, don't miss a detail. Tell me everything. Like, it's either that level of crazy or it's just okay? like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm screaming into the phone and they'll hang up and then I'll call them back. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's Melody. out of control. We need to get, we need to get you back on a stage again. I know. ASAP. This is getting dire. Yeah. We got to get my Sam Kinison ass back on a stage. Like, it's <laughs> so crazy. It's so crazy. I'm cuddling with my cat. I'm having very cozy, long, you know, days filled with n- nothing, silence. I spend most of the days alone. Allie's working. And then a phone call comes in, and I'm <laughs> screaming. I checked my heart rate on my Fitbit. It was at 133. <laughs> okay, that's crazy. That's so crazy. Oh, my gosh. So I don't know. Maybe that's the gayest thing of the week. My, no, my rage. I, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it to Cat Facetime. Okay. <laughs> yeah, really, just bouncing between those two extremes this past week. Um, <laughs> we've had multiple Cat Facetimes. Anyways, Carolyn, what's the mm-hmm. gayest thing you did this week? Oh, definitely waxing my butcher's block, which I wish was a euphemism, but literally applying I almost wax. Googled butcher's block. <laughs> like I was going to find out it was a part of your vagina. Like I didn't know. Yeah. Got some butcher block countertops, had to sand them down with four different grits of sandpaper, apply some uh, mineral oil that's mm-hmm. food safe, and then apply a thin coat of wax. And that is the gayest thing I did this week, but also honorable mention to the in uh, Virolog, since Melody, your gayest thing in the past was making a fire, but also struggling tremendously yeah. to make a fire. Well, I just bought something called an Envirolog, which is not made of wood, but apparently burns cleaner and is better for the environment. And it's made of recycled cardboard and wax. And it's in the shape of a log. And it comes in a bag and you just like open the bag up a little bit. And then you light the ends on fire and immediately it just Oh, it's like a like starter a log. It's like a starter log, but you just but that's all you use. You don't oh, use no actual wood. wood. Huh. And it burns for, for three hours. And we did it last night. That was our first time using our fireplace in our new home. That's so exciting. Yeah. Oh man. I I love that for you. I'm dying yeah. to make a fire again. Speaking of the gayest thing, uh, neither of us can top the gayest thing from our guest this week. So let's get into yes. it. Uh, today we are diking out with award-winning actress Natasha Negovanlis about bipan myths. 
Some of you know Natasha from her titular role in the series Carmilla, as well as the movie based on the series. And more recently, she appeared in movies like uh, Almost Adults and Freelancers Anonymous. She also now has a podcast that's out called Vanless Presents. So be sure to give that a listen, but not until you've listened to this interview. Natasha, thank you so much for joining us and diking out today. How are you? I'm good. I'm nervous. I feel like I have to put uh, like a disclaimer on this because I identify as pansexual or bisexual and I don't want to appropriate the term oh, diking well, out, but I'm, I'm, I? I'm so pleased to be on, on the pod. Thanks for having me. Just a heads up, I'm bi-pan too and the co-host of diking out, so I... <laughs> Feel you on that? Um, yes. Yeah. The, the, I have a vocal following, which I do appreciate because I love being held accountable. But just wanted to I put that imagine. out there. <laughs> sure, sure. That being said, what's the gayest thing you did this week, Natasha? Before we get into anything. Mm, okay. Well, I did dye my hair a nice bisexual blue. Yeah. Oh, yes. Nice, nice little ombre. And um, at the time we're recording this, there was a new moon yesterday. So I did read my tarot cards as a good bisexual witch does. But Love it. One of the gayest answers we've ever gotten. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. I know. I Before the pandemic, there was one day where I like saw my psychic advisor and my therapist in this same day. And I was like, this is the most queer millennial day ever. Yeah. And then I like bought some <laughs> crystals and then was like, also like going to a home decorating store with my ex-girlfriend. Like I was currently like sleeping at the couch on the couch at the time. And I was like this and but like it was very civil breakup. And I was like, yeah, this is the, the queerest day. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So you read your own tarot. How often do you do that? I usually don't read my own tarot. Um, like, do I don't do a full reading, but I do like yeah. using it as like a journal exercise, you know. So um Interesting. just like on a new moon, I'm like, cool, cool, cool. What what's gonna happen for this cycle? What should I like focus on? So it's kind of more like a mindfulness activity rather than like divination for me when I yeah. do it for myself anyway. But I do enjoy reading other people's. How long did it take you to get to a point where you could read other people's? My mom bought me my deck in 1999. So it has been oh, nice. That's around the time I got mine. Time. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's going to be a really long time. Yes, it's been like over 20 years. Love that. Do you get friends who ask you to, to read their tarot a lot? I do. Yeah, not a lot. But once in a while, friends will be like, okay, I need you to FaceTime me now. I, I need to know what's yeah. going on. What a great pandemic activity. It has been. Yeah, I've been is. doing like a lot of Zoom readings for people. Um, I, I would never do it for money, I would feel strange like that. But uh, when we had a brief lift on our lockdown here in Toronto, where I'm located, um, I did do a service trade. So my hairstylist cut mm. my hair for me. And then I read her daughter's tarot cards over Zoom. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. How are things in Toronto? I mean, we're, we've been in a second lockdown that's been very strict, so nothing is open except for grocery stores since the end of November. That would have been the start of our second one. So it's been a while. I mean, I have a bit of the fatigue, but I'd rather be safe. So And, and my people are healthy. I'm healthy. I can't really complain too much, but I am definitely looking forward to, like, working again. <laughs> yeah. Like, did you have any projects that were put on hold? 
I have one digital series that's on hold at the moment. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I haven't, I have mostly been doing like voiceover auditions, which has been great. I, I would love to work in animation. So if anyone, anyone listening to this, uh, likes the, the, the tessitura, the dulcet voice, tones. <laughs> let me know. Well, before we get into our topic, there is one thing I want to ask you about, and I just want to get like a sense of what it's like to be on the receiving end of this like intense queer fandom. <laughs> it's something I didn't know about like queer fandom being someone who's been like out and gay for a while until I went to my first Clexicon, which was to like speak on a podcasting panel. And then I was like, what is this world? And it was just like all these uh, relationship names I hadn't heard of, these shows I hadn't heard of. And then I was like trying to educate myself. And I'm like, this this is nuts. They're really loyal and intense. It reminds me of like K-pop fans. <laughs> like, like how, how do you feel about knowing that there's like a lot of uh, YouTube montages of you set to a lot of like slow songs? <laughs> Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Um, at first, it was certainly really overwhelming. So I booked a show called Carmilla and started playing a broody lesbian vampire uh, back in 2014. And so at first, it was definitely very overwhelming um, and very surreal, I would say. And I also put a lot of pressure on myself, I think, to try to you know be the best role model that I could be. Because as someone who did you know, start identifying and coming out um, as a teenager and, you know, as someone who was constantly looking for uh, role models and representation, I knew what that felt like, but I didn't know this whole world existed. I have to say I was pretty outside of any sort of like sci-fi or fantasy fandom. So um, yeah. I had no idea um, it was going to be quite as big as it was. And, um, yeah, it was definitely, I feel like I did a lot of growing up from, from that time for sure. Like I just, it, it, I, I learned a lot in six years, I think, and even more about my own community and it introduced me to so many wonderful people. And, um, I've said this before in interviews, but I think it was kind of like a blessing in the sense that I was out, but I wasn't necessarily proud so mm. it was really nice to find that sense of community and, and meet more like-minded people just through through the show. Were you not proud because there are a lot of myths around bisexuality and pansexuality? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like I've, I fluctuate between the terms and, you know, I haven't talked about my sexuality in a long time actually on any podcasts or, or online. And I, I used to quite a bit, but... I started to think like, you know, my sexual identity is really like the least interesting thing about me, I think. And I'd love to get to a point where I don't really have to um, justify it or talk about it. Um, but at the same time, I understand the importance of labels because I understand the importance of people just wanting to cling to some kind of community. And so I've, and I'm also more vocal about it because I know there are a lot of people on the spectrum of queerness who don't fit into a category of gay or straight um, who reach out to me and, and say, thank you for being open about it because it makes me feel less alone. And that feeling is like the best feeling in the world. If I can help someone not feel like a weirdo, that's awesome. Cause I know there's just a lot of confusion I think around it, but I think one of the biggest myths is like that buyer pansexual people are 
confused in general. So that was something that I think I had to, especially before many people identified as, as queer. And I think now like Gen, Gen Z, especially it's like people are more open talking about being sexually fluid or sexually curious. Um, Right. But I think back when I was like 19, 20, you know, there was a lot of myths. There was a myth about it, you know, being really promiscuous or really, you know, quote unquote slutty. I'd be called a bi-slut all the time from both uh, queer people and straight people. Um, I think there was- Which I resent because I don't like people to think I'm any less slutty because I'm a lesbian, you know? (laughs) Like, why? Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was going to say, there's nothing wrong. Why can't I be slutty? (laughs) There's nothing wrong with being promiscuous. Um, If everyone is- honest about it and everything right. is consensual and you're being safe, like go to, but, um, yeah, just this idea. Um, and I think it's been pushed by media a lot too, but that like by people are the homewreckers or like the mistresses. And it's like, how many straight people cheat on each other? Like you can just be an asshole right. and be any uh, sexuality. Um, mm-hmm. and I started using the term by, I think around like 16 years old. And then I had this aversion to the word pansexual for a long time, which I think a lot of people do. Um, because as someone had mentioned to me like, Oh, well, like if you're bi, then you're not being inclusive of non-binary folks. And at first I was like, pansexual, this sounds so pretentious, but then it started to feel like the right word for me, especially when I was, um, you know, very single and wild and free and experimenting a lot. (laughs) Um, you know, pansexual, made a lot of sense to me. And now I kind of use the words interchangeably, I would say. Um, now I understand that bisexuality doesn't need to be, you know, uh, exclusionary of gender fluid people. It doesn't need to be right. trans exclusive. My sexuality is absolutely trans inclusive. Um, so yeah, I kind of, for me, I say I use bisexual most of the time when I'm talking to people who I just am too lazy to explain uh, sexuality to. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> um, except I don't know exactly what bi plus is. Is that the same thing <laughs> that we just kind of covered? I'm seeing a lot of bi plus lately. Really? That's new to me. Bisexual like plus sign, which I think is pan, by pan, right? I think it's people who wanted to still use the term um, bisexual, but then didn't want people to think that they were being exclusive. But then a lot of bisexual people were like, no, bisexual, the way that that I think that it's described like by, you know, GLAD and HRC and scholars now, it's like um, my gender, like same gender and genders that aren't the same. And that's the duality. It's not like... So... Like of, officially, it seems like in the in the gay literature that the term bisexual has evolved to um, equate. I, and then I read that like pansexuality is under the bisexuality umbrella. But the real experience is that I think people use it interchangeably. I mean, I know Melody, like you came out as bisexual on the podcast, and then you refer to yourself as pan sometimes and use it interchangeably. Yeah, I, don't I think totally... anyone's mind exploded yet. So I think everyone no. kind of gets it, you know? <laughs> For me, it just really means that I'm attracted to people. I'm very attracted to people's minds, people's personalities, uh, more so than anything to the point where like there was a time when I was questioning whether or not I was on the gray asexual spectrum, um, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions about that uh, because 
asexual people or gray asexual people can still experience sexual desire, but it's not often. Um, and I think largely that was because I, then there's so many different terms for this, but I think it's like largely because right. I was like, I learned about, you know, demisexuality where it's like, okay, so really it's more that I really need to like know a person and have emotions involved to be attracted to them. And then I learned about like, you know, even people who identify as like sapiosexual, where it's like the attraction to, um, intelligence or talent or right. things like that. And I, cause I, even from the time I was a kid and like growing up and hit puberty, when people were really like boy crazy and stuff, I never experienced that, which it was like, okay, yeah, because I <laughs> generally, uh, you know, find women more aesthetically pleasing. Um, but I think also too, it was just like, yeah, I would never see someone, you know, at a club or like walking down the street and be like, oh, that person's so hot. I totally want to bone them, you know, but that doesn't mean <laughs> that I'm not a sexual person either. So, cause it's like right. when I do like someone, I'm highly sexual. Um, and I think too, I was like working through sexual traumas, which I also like want to clarify that I don't, not everyone who identifies as gray, asexual or asexual, um, has experienced trauma. And it is like a valid identity that yeah. some people are yeah. just born with. I know that's a myth, but I think for me in that time, I was like going through just massive fluctuations in my own mental health stuff where it would be like, yeah, sure. either hypersexual or not at all for like years at a time. And yeah. I think a lot of that was like processing things. Cause after like good solid two and a half years of therapy, I'm just like, ah, I can breathe now. Cool. I think I'm like just the right amount of sexual now for me. <laughs> you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. 
And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Melody, I feel like I need to apologize for being a little bit insufferable lately. Why, Carolyn? Because you won't stop talking about your new house? And here I was thinking I was holding myself back. But alas, no. It's because I won't shut up about how well I've been sleeping. Oh, well, that's fine because we both have the same Helix mattress, so I get it. Well, I finally got my bed set up in my new house. Did I mention that I moved into a new house? Uh, Anyway, I was so excited to sleep on my new Helix mattress, and it honestly exceeded the hype for me because I am sleeping like Tally in the end of the world to come. Oh my god, that's because you took the Helix Sleep Quiz which recommends the right mattress for your body and sleep style. Turns out it was more accurate than a BuzzFeed quiz because it truly had me pegged. They have different levels of firmness, mattresses that help keep you cool at night, and even ones for bodies of all sizes. And I was matched with the Helix Dusk Luxe Mattress which has a medium feel, is good for back and stomach sleepers, and has zoned lumbar support. Oh, that must be why my back has been feeling so much better this past month. If you're in the market for a new mattress, just go to helixsleep.com slash diking out and take the two minute sleep quiz where they'll pair you with a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. That's not even an exaggeration. It's been a very noticeable difference for me, but I'm guessing for other folks as well, because it was awarded the overall mattress pick last year by GQ and Wired magazine. It ships free to your door and has a 10 year warranty. Plus, you can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. Sounds like a dream. Well, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash diking out. That's helixsleep.com slash diking out. It's funny because I I feel like it's because, you know, a lot of us who are older, like most of older, like... (laughs) 30, around 30. I don't know. Uh, Very old. I just saw a meme and I don't know who did it, so I can't credit it, but it was like, it is canon that the parents from Rugrats were supposed to be 33. And I was like, oh my God. I know they look I so felt that in all old. over. I just got goosebumps. But yeah, no. we're old. We're old now. Uh, yeah. But Phil and Will's mom was a lesbian just to, uh, while we're talking about the Rugrats. Um, yes, of course. I want to put that on the record. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely at the age now where like I'm watching a lot of shows and I'm like relating to the 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 teenagers still and then like the mom says their age I'm like, "Oh, the mom's younger than me. Great. Great." <laughs> I know why are on sitcoms are we still pushing this myth that like everyone's having a kid at 24 still? Like I know it still happens right. and no judgment to, you know, that's great, but like there's this weird thing where I'm like, I really do want to see a show where like it is a 38-year-old woman having her first child. Yes. Right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I feel like, uh, you know, maybe maybe the experience is different for younger people now, but the the norm that we were all taught growing up is, is that, like, well, one, like, cis, hetero, 
culture is like normal. And then also that being like sexual is normal, but it's always been different for men being sexual and women being sexual. But I feel like there's some type of idea of what's normal that's been formed by like the media and society and religion. And then when we don't conform to that, we think that there's like something wrong with us. You know, so just like that thing of like not being necessarily sexually attracted to somebody or to to people right away until you get to know them. And you're like, oh, well, I guess there's something wrong with me. And like, you know, I must not be like everybody else. And, you know, we had um, Janine Garofalo on the podcast a while back talking about being asexual. And she was like, I think a lot more people are asexual or like closer to asexual than admit then admit it because to say that you're just not into sex is like crazy to people. And it's like more of a hassle than it's worth. And then you don't want to seem like a weirdo for being like, yeah, I'm not that into sex, you know, like that, that can be very off putting for people. So then people are kind of quiet about things and, you know, yeah. Oh yeah. That's changing more. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think more so with cis men, it would be like, if I didn't, sleep with them by the fourth date, they would ghost me or not want to see me anymore. Um, More so with men than with women. Um, But I do find, I guess that's like the myth or joke about lesbian bed death as well. (laughs) It's like, you know, I I think with women, it's like, I've had very sexual relationships with women, but it's also, there's just a bit more understanding and respect towards like getting to know one another truly first. Um, yeah, yeah, that's such a good, that's such a good point. And I, I feel when I look back to, it's like there, I've never done anything that wasn't consensual or that I didn't, you know, make the decision to do, but there were definitely a lot of times where it was sort of like, oh, okay, well, this is what adults do. Let's get this over with kind of thing versus like, yeah, right, very innate, right. like carnal desire. And like, I don't know, sex is so much nicer for me anyway. I mean, everyone's different and I really am like very open about talking about sex. And I think that's what confuses people too, is like, they're like, well, how could she be like on any kind of spectrum or even question that because she's so comfortable talking about it. And I was like, well, the amount of people who are having tons of sex and having bad sex and are so uncomfortable talking about it is astonishing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. It's like, we should talk about it. Yeah. It still feels like that's like a very taboo place. Cause when I first learned about, and it was through doing this podcast and, and listeners writing in with questions, we got this one email. I remember about someone being like, well, first I thought I was aromantic and then I realized I was Demi, but what if I'm some, I'm like, what are these terms? And I'm reading them. I'm like, I don't get why these terms exist because these all just seem like normal things and are just personal preferences. Yeah. But then I'm like, well, I guess I get why they exist though, because these people are taught that like that, it's like a subset or it's like not normal or like that they need to label it something because it's not something that's like widely accepted as like a valid mode to operate in when it is, you know? One thing I've learned from my followers as well is that labels are not necessarily about being exclusive, but it's, it is about reaching out and trying to find community. Um, but yeah. then the tricky thing with that is people get very stuck on labels So one of the things I really try to teach to my younger followers who look up to me who are are bi or pan identifying is like, it's okay for you to change your mind. And it doesn't mean you're confused and it doesn't mean you were disingenuine when you identified a certain way. 
And I recently got a fan letter from someone who said they had actually identified as a lesbian their whole life. And now they realized through my posts and things I write about that they actually identify as pansexual. Oh, was that Melody? That's my, that's my, that's my, oh, yeah, it was, wait a minute, wait a minute, no. (laughs) And I do appreciate your reply. Um, no, that's very real. That happens. And I think that's more of those stories need to be shared to bust that myth that it's just a phase or stepping stone on your way to like your full actualized homo self or, or just experimenting when you go back to heterosexuality. Like I very much thought I was a lesbian (laughs) and had to take a step back, um, go to therapy, realize like what was actually keeping me from men. There was a lot of trauma, but had to acknowledge that I am very fluid and attracted to just people. Um, But I was convinced I was a lesbian. I mean, because they're generally trash. But yes. So it's like you you can't blame me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I need more of those stories out there to bust this specific myth, at least. That's why I love Desiree Akvan's The Bisexual. We talk about it right. a lot on this show, but I love that there's at least a whole show that people can watch on Hulu centered around this story. Do you find that you ever feel pressure to like perform your sexuality or perform your gender based on the gender of the person you're dating? Kind of. Yeah. When I was, especially when I was first dating girls after dating a man, like I um, realized I was bi, I experimented with all different genders. And then I like did settle down and have a boyfriend for two years. Um, But it was coming out of that relationship that I really felt like I had something to prove. I do have a lot of shame that I still struggle with um, and hang ups. And I was definitely like performing to be such a lesbian that I didn't even bring it up when I became a co-host of this podcast. I just let people think I was a lesbian until eventually we were interviewing Desiree Akvon. And I was like, I'm going to take this opportunity (laughs) to say me too. I can feel it like when I hear from our, our listeners too, and just friends I know who are bisexual, that when they're with men, they feel like a lot of either like guilt or like pressure to like justify their space in the queer community yeah and big time I find what's really interesting is that when bisexual men are dating men it's assumed that they're gay yep and when bisexual women are dating women it's assumed that they're actually straight and just experimenting And that I find very, very interesting. It's like the kind of fetishization of sexuality and the differences between bi men and bi women. And I really feel for bi men, though. I mean, I have to say, as much as it's annoying to be, like, hyper-sexualized and not taken seriously by people, um, there is still – I don't feel the threat of violence as much if I'm seen outside kissing – a woman than some of my bi male friends might feel because they have this, you know, expectation from the gay communities that they're actually just a stepping stone. They're on a stepping stone towards being gay. And then there's a frat boy kind of mentality with straight men where they have a lot of homophobia towards them. And then on top of that, like, some of my bi male friends have told me that they are afraid to come out to like women they've dated or, or go on dates with because there are a lot of straight women who are afraid to be with men who've had sex with other men. And oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like 
you know, to me, that's there. Obviously, there's a lot of homophobia ingrained in that, and you know, I, I think these kind of unfortunate stereotypes or myths about you know STDs and things like that. But I'm like, girls, like, honey, you should be more concerned about the straight men that you're uh, having sex with because (laughs) the majority of the bi men I know are very safe and very responsible, if not like more responsible when they're having sex. And I was like, I I don't know many straight men who like put a rubber on it. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) You're more likely to get HPV from a straight man. I'm sorry. There's no scientific base for this. This is my own anecdotal experience, but. Sounds like science to me. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) This is a myth I'll push. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there a difference um, in the way that cis men and women react to buyer pan identities um, or are they both equally threatened or am I pushing a myth saying that they are threatened by? I think it's really dependent on the person. Right. I don't find straight women are ever particularly uh, quote unquote threatened or uh, by my sexuality. Um, definitely lesbians for sure because there is a myth that all bi women just quote unquote end up with men, whatever that means. Um, but, and then with some straight men, you either get the like, Oh, that's hot. Can we have a threesome thing? Or, or, or I have had some men actually genuinely be threatened and be worried that I would leave them for a woman. And, um, you know, I, I think in any, it's like any relationship, it's like, there's a potential to leave them or, break their heart for another or, person. Uh, it has person. nothing to do with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know me personally, I've never left any partner of any gender for another person specifically. It's like the relationship just wasn't moving in the right direction or, you know, right. or I've been cheated on actually by men and women, interestingly enough. So, you know, um, I don't know. And I think it just comes from fear. I think it just comes from people's fear. Oh, for and sure. lack of understanding. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've definitely, even had a boyfriend say that he had changed me back to a heterosexual. And, <laughs> and did you break up with him like the next day? Cause that's yeah, um, we did eventually break up. I'm, I'm sorry. ashamed to say it's so bad to say, but the sex was good. So I was like, maybe if I <laughs> don't listen to him. Um, yeah, but that didn't work out, but it is just a bi pan myth that bisexuals, pansexuals cheat in general. And, I know so many bisexuals who would never have never. It's like more than anything. It's the straight people in my life who are cheating. I don't know. That myth obviously was born of the like confusion around bisexuals and what they're going to do next. Oh, totally. That's one of the most annoying ones. Lesbians cheat to like everybody. N- not everybody cheats, but oh, but actually, like, I know like, some like big cheating. lesbian cheaters too. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the kids' book. Everybody poops, but it's everybody cheats. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just most people I think have an experience where they either have cheated on someone or they've been cheated on, and I don't think that that's that there's any one like sexuality that owns that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what? I just remembered this guy that I uh, ashamedly did not dump the next day after that. It was later told to me by a friend that he was on Tinder while we were still dating. So it's like, you're the one cheating and you're the one who oh, was man. afraid I would cheat and just like Projecting. plagued me with all these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been cheated on a straight man has cheated on me with a woman and a lesbian has cheated on me with a woman. So, so, you know, it happens. It happens. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Also, women are tempting. We get it. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that's one of my most uh, frustrating myths. But yeah, in terms of like threatened by it, I mean, there were definitely times in university because I went to school for opera and there were definitely times like in the change room. I think sometimes when like some women would be kind of weird about it because there was like murmurings that I was queer, but they were, there were like murmurings that I was a lesbian because like they didn't understand uh, bisexuality and I had super short hair at the time because I was also too like very much just like wandering around the village of Montreal like trying to find community and I think at that time as well yeah it was very much like a statement thing where I was like well I guess I just have to like cut off all my hair now and just like wear biker <laughs> boots forever and I did that too yeah <laughs> and I did notice a weirdness in fitting rooms um I have always worked out and gone to gyms and have noticed that I feel a lot more on edge when I had a shorter more like a shorter haircut more dykey appearance um just very aware of that in locker rooms and then when I present more femme I don't think anything of it but I am aware of more butch girls in locker rooms and I'm not watching them but I'm just aware of how they're moving around the space because I know they feel that too yeah or also when like I do look particularly femme and you know say I have a partner who does as well I find it more nerve-wracking to kiss them goodbye on the street because I've had like weird old men like leering at us or things like that Whereas, and like, I think more men have issues with, um, well, actually, you know, women too, like I've with, when there are two femme partners, then it's like, because it doesn't fit their vision of what queerness should be. But I don't want to complain about obviously being cis and femme, because I know that also comes with a lot of privilege and being straight passing Mm -hmm. comes with a lot of privilege and you know, having even, you know, thin privilege or things like that. Like I, I'm not complaining about or saying like, oh, I'm so oppressed because I <laughs> am femme. But like, I do remember when I had a particularly femme girlfriend, you know, who was very, very pretty, very, very bleach blonde, like, you know, and, and people would make more comments to us on the street. Like I actually had like a group of men, like physically break our hands apart on the street and it was like very much like one of those you know like oh like you just haven't had the right like yeah man yeah kind of thing whereas like when I was with a woman who you know was not I wouldn't say butch but just you know softer and like you know a chapstick lesbian if you will (laughs) yes um but yeah like in less less femme than I was anyway it was interesting how like no one really looked at us when we were holding hands or uh, displaying public affection yeah, I, I had a friend, uh, well, I'll say former friend now. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't like any dramatic falling out, but I'm like, I prefer not to associate with this person. And he um, opened up this like bar restaurant thing in Brooklyn. And I was uh, there one night, we're talking and he was like, oh, you know, we have this like really popular brunch. You and your wife should come by, you know, have a mimosa, maybe make out a little bit. And I was so creeped. I'm like, you're my friend. Mm. Like we were on an improv team together and I'm like, dude, it, it was just so out of left field. Like he'd never made me feel weird about my sexuality until he told me to come to brunch just to make out with my wife. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Was it to like draw in more customers? Yeah. Like, oh my like, God. Like to make it a cool scene. Like look at these two femme lesbians making out. Like, I don't know. It was so weird. I was like, what 
kind of common, is this? Yeah, that's that so bizarre sucks. that he felt entitled to, like, tell you to, like, perform in some sexual way or, like, affectionate way. Like, who right. would, would he ever say that to his straight friends? Like, I, yeah, that's right. so bizarre. Hey, Rick, you and your girlfriend should come and make out at brunch <laughs> Yeah, never, like, ever would. Yeah. We talked about one of the big myths being that bisexual people or bipans are just confused. And I'm always torn about this because I feel like like lesbians have contributed to this because so many lesbians that I know initially come out. And I don't know if this still happens, but at least the time when I was coming out and for a while, like we all come out as bisexual at first because we think that that's less weird. And then we're like, oh, no, we're, we're a lesbian. Like, or like once you have like your first girlfriend, you're like, yeah, no, I'm a lesbian. I just said I was bisexual, but I'm not. And I'm like, we're the ones that are feeding into this myth. And that, like, we you don't just hear bisexual to. and you're triggered and you're brought back to your, your confusion. <laughs> I think a lot of it also comes with people who've dated people who were experimenting, you know, in college or in their early 20s. And, right. and that's valid and fine, too. It's like. Feel yeah. free to experiment. And if you, like, I've, and I, I, I maybe even contributed that too. Like, I remember having some experiences with women who still identify as straight now and are married to men and, and, you know, being kind of salty about that. But it's like, really now as someone in my thirties, I look back and I'm like, but they were experimenting. That's cool. And I made them feel safe and like, whatever. It's not me to tell them how to live their life right. or how to identify. And so I think a lot of that comes from, um, I think lesbians who have been hurt by bisexual women. I think a lot of For that, sure. uh, you know, but what's interesting to me is more often than not, at least in my circle, I have a lot of friends who've like left their husbands and are now with women or like broke up out of a long-term relationship mm -hmm. and married women in their mid thirties. And I've actually right. seen that bisexual, you know, myth that all by women just settled down with men. I've actually like personally from a personal anecdotal place, I've seen it go the other way, which I find right. really interesting or women who've like identified as straight their entire lives. And then suddenly like meet a woman at 38 and that's their person. It's like, it just doesn't matter. But yeah, I totally feel that. And I feel like, uh, particularly now because I am with a man and, you know, there are so many aspects. I don't want to share too many personal details. I'm pretty private about my life, but there are a lot of aspects to our relationship that are not heteronormative or typical, I would say. And I don't think we really play into gender roles, but I understand that like, He's a cisgender man, and from the outside, we've got all of that privilege. And um, now more than ever, yeah, I feel this need to, like, defend my sexuality somehow. Um, right, right. Which is yeah. frustrating, but also it's like, yeah, I also can't really complain, though, because obviously it's like, well, we're the most privileged in the world now, but... I feel like bisexual bisexual people, it's like they can't win, though, because, Melody, you have to defend your bisexuality in a relationship to a woman. Yeah, my girlfriend, you know, she gets it. She's very woke to these ideas, but there's still something in her that hates that I'm a bisexual. And she used to identify as bisexual. Like, when we started dating, we started dating 
in mid 2016 and we're both comedians, I would see her go on stage and talk about being a bisexual. So I was like, okay, she gets it. But like, she says through dating me and through just like growing over the years, she's definitely a lesbian now. But like, it's weird that like any compassion, understanding, (laughs) you know, around those sensitivities that she experienced when she was going back and forth between dating men and women and defending different aspects of each relationship aren't (laughs) automatically afforded to me. Um, (laughs) It's like something we are definitely working on. It's not like completely hostile, but it's just I know it's there um, and it comes out in like little like maybe snarky jokes here or there, but it is like an ongoing conversation and something that we have to address. And she wakes up some mornings just pissed off that has a dream that I've left her for a man. Like it's something that's clearly an issue here in our relationship that we're still trying to sort out. And when you'd asked earlier about um, feeling like you have to defend your sexuality. I answered to like the lesbian community side of it, but I definitely especially felt that whenever I've been with a man and just feeling like completely excommunicated from the community, completely having to feel more like outwardly gay um, while dating men. Um, It's weird to experience these walls from each side. (laughs) No matter what I do, there's some sort of like weird adversity there. I I think another myth too is that bisexual people or bipan people aren't as oppressed, even though I don't really feel oppressed as a gay person, but um, aren't as oppressed as like, quote unquote, fully gay people. And it's, it's not like it's a contest or anything like that, but it's like when you look at the, the rates of like depression and the, the things that I'm, BIPAN people have to struggle with both from within the community and outside the community. It's a fucking lot. It's a lot. (laughs) I see a lot of struggle with my very masculine, whatever that means, you know, outwardly masculine cis friends who are bi men. I think it's really challenging for them because I see a lot of them grappling with the fact, especially like the white ones, they're grappling with the fact that as like a cis white man, they're like, at, who are able-bodied, they're, you know, they're at the top of the the sort of privileged pyramid. And yet they really, I see them really struggle with, with being bi and not being accepted in either community and really struggling with like the performance aspect of it as well. Because I think we have this idea that like, well, you know, queer men are super femme and gay women are super like butch. And it's like, it, it doesn't, there's a duality, I think, in all of us. And some right. some of it is, you know, more outward than others. And, and that's something I even struggled with, like for a long time where I felt particularly more so with men. It's like, as soon as I would date men, I would feel this need to like perform femininity in a particular way. So all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, now I absolutely have to shave my armpits all the time. Or like, oh, Mm. now I, you know, have to have a full face of makeup on all the time. But then I also love makeup and like glitter sometimes as an art form and expression. And sometimes I feel super powerful when I'm in a pair of heels. But when I was dating women, I would be like, oh, well, I can't be super over the top or super femme or we're not going to match or like, you know, or they're not going to be attracted to that. And then I started feeling insecure about my body because I was like just – constantly just wearing like really schlubby clothes feeling like oh well I have to like perform a certain way and it was just so silly and now I've I think I've really reached a point of just 
wearing whatever the fuck I want whenever I do. And what I find really yes, interesting right. is like, uh, you know, most days when I'm just like in a beanie and no makeup and like a big t-shirt, my partner actually finds me like the most attractive, but then he also loves <laughs> when I'm like super over the top and, you know, I think that it all kind of, it just like, man, fuck the patriarchy is what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it all just comes from like patriarchy and capitalism as well. It's like, you know, we're told as women to like look a certain way and buy these products and buy this makeup and do this. But then it's like, oh, if you do too much or you get plastic surgery, well, now you're, you, it's too much that now you're bad. Now you're immoral. Now you're vain. Now you're, now you can, you're right. not smart. You can't be taken seriously. And it's just like, you can't win. So no. I right. just say like, yeah, to any young, like, bisexuals and pansexuals of any gender. It's just like, wear what you want, date who you want. Just like, don't be an asshole and just try to drown out the noise. I think I used to be very concerned with, you know, not offending anyone, but to the point where I was censoring myself so much that I wasn't being necessarily as true to myself as I could have been. And I think, you know, being in your thirties is awesome. After like I hit my thirties, I was like, I just don't care about external validation as much. And when you actually find happiness and you're in it, like I'm in in such a healthy communicative relationship. It's like the most healthy like relationship I've ever been in. Really. It's such a friendship and we talk about everything and it's just like, and now that I'm happy, it's like, I just don't give a shit about what anyone thinks of me. Yes. I was going to say, it is also a 20s versus 30s thing for me, too. (laughs) Like, a lot of the experiences I've been drawing upon for, like, examples for this conversation I'm realizing are just, like, such 20-something relationship issues that I was happening. And just, like, a lot of performing and a lot of, like, not really looking within until I hit 30 and started presenting how I want Just doing whatever you want to do and finding someone who's okay with that. That wasn't unfortunately a thing until a few years ago. Well, and and when we talk about myths too, I mean, when I think of my twenties and my early twenties, like I know I believed some of these myths or I had, you know, just really ignorant, uh, thoughts about bisexual women of like, oh yeah, they're, I, that the thing you said, um, about bisexual men really being gay and bisexual women being really straight. I used to say that all the time until I got out in the real world and was like, Oh wait. And and then you actually like meet people and you're like, this isn't true at all, but that's kind of like the message that you receive and you want to think like, Oh yeah, I know what's up. Like it was so pushed in media too. Definitely pushed in media. And then that's why I think a lot of the younger generation is so fluid and open and not like beholden to certain labels right away because they are on TikTok and just, exposed to so many more options and right I mean when we talk about bisexual representation on TV like a lot of it for for so long it was always like women were bisexual for um, purposes of either deception or like a ratings gimmick before they they went back to men (laughs) yeah yeah sweeps that was the word I was looking for (laughs) and then those are like that was before you social media was really big when I was younger so I went out into the world with with these ideas of like what a bisexual person was and and I'm so I try not to be like too hard on my former self but it is like really embarrassing to be like wow I can't believe I used to think that way or I used to say like I remember after having the first kiss with this girl who is bisexual I said see aren't women better like I'm like what a fucking disgusting weird like unattractive (laughs) comment to make but I was like yeah that was a great kiss that showed her 
that showed that bisexual, <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure dudes have that feeling too yeah. sometimes. It's so unattractive. Uh, and I'm mortified, mortified by I mean, for the most part, moment. women are better. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a funny thing too, is like, when I think about my experiences with men and women, it's like, I'd say like 99% of my experiences with women have been really positive and then like maybe 50% of my experiences with them. Right. <laughs> and like, you know, but uh, yeah, I think this, um, people just really don't get it, but whatever, just be who you want to be and do what you want right. to do. And like, I, I think, um, even for men too, it all really comes from like toxic, this toxic masculinity as well. It's like, we just have to drop that as well. And it's not limited to men. Toxic masculinity is. Oh like, yeah. Definitely not. limited. Oh to yes. Men. I used to say that I had like a toxic, uh, not like other girls syndrome, right? Because mm. it's like, we associated coolness <laughs> and power and all of these things with like quote unquote masculine traits or with men. And so it was like to enjoy anything that would be seen as quote unquote girly was bad. And it's like, you know, one of those things where you'd be like just one of the boys and that somehow made you better. And I find like as I get older, uh, the majority of my friends now were women. And as a child, I would have never imagined that. And it's just Mm. cool that like as you get older, you're like, wait a minute, like patriarchy and like masculine people have just been pitting us against each other this whole time. And it's actually really dope to be like who we are. So, yeah, it's like we we form these stereotypes in our society to try to make things just like easier to understand and like an easier way to comprehend a lot of information. But like the truth is that everybody is so unique and different. And, uh, you know, going back to that whole thing about being confused, like if it's it's totally okay and a million percent valid to change your labels like as much as you need to as you're on this road of discovery but like being you know discovering things about yourself or even like evolving or whatever it is that doesn't equate confusion necessarily and if you are confused that's okay too life is confusing <laughs> sexuality can be confusing and <laughs> it's it's always used as like such like a negative thing and you know it takes kind of like living through your 20s almost to get to a space where you're like okay I can just do what I want and be what I want and do what makes me happy and that's what's most important and it's not what people might be snickering about behind my back I only recently figured it out, you know, like it takes a long time and I don't know what it is lately, but it seems like a younger and younger demographic is really trying to make that stamp. And it, I don't know, it makes me a little sad. I really want people to understand that it's like a long process and a journey and it takes a lot of just experience. There's no one coming out, you know, I think it's like you're constantly coming out regardless of how you identify, um, over and over again to different people in your life. And it, yeah, again, it's okay if it changes. I mean, it goes to circle back to like the, the biggest myth of like all bi women end up with men The just the term end up with someone like, right. Yeah. It makes me feel sick. Like, <laughs> and that's not to say I don't believe in long-term relationships or monogamy or that there's, right. 
a person out there for me, you know, who I will have children with. It might be my current partner now. And, you know, but even when we talk about that, it's like, I don't have this unrealistic expectation. It's like, Hey, I'm going to promise to hold love in my heart for you for forever. And I will respect you forever, but I can't promise that I'm going to be in love with you forever. And like, Hey, I think I'd love to be with you for like 10 years, you know, at least. <laughs> let's just and then love like each other. let's yeah, like marriage should be a five-year renewable contract, personally. I think. Yes, I have thought this, I've said this, I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> but it's nice because you like check in with each other. Like there, you know, there are but benefits. Yeah. So much of our, our 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 society is still built around marriage. So I get it for like now I used to be Which is funny because they fail so much though. I know. Like, speaking as a divorced person, people like I, I remember a lot of my friends being like, um, like who who haven't gotten married yet. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm in my thirties. I haven't gotten married. I'm like, I'm in my thirties and I'm divorced. So what does it even mean? Like, why is that a goal of getting married by a certain age when it can also just go away in an instant? <laughs> like, and then you're no longer married. So, so like you have to stop having that as being like the end goal. Just do like find relationships that fulfill you. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I used to be like vehemently like anti-marriage from the time I was a little kid. It was really weird. Like I was in a production of Fiddler on the Roof when I was in high school. I went to a music theater school for performing (laughs) arts and, uh, in my high school production, when I played Seidel, my dad leaned over to my mom and he was like, betcha that's the only time you're going to see her in a white dress. Um, which is like, I've played married people on TV now. So I don't know. No, I, don't know I totally got married in a movie. Um, so I've been in a white dress before, but uh, you know, it was like always this, I was always like, no, 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 that was never a goal. And now I'm kind of looking at it where I'm like, Oh, like I get it. I think, but I don't think of it as this like, yeah, forever thing. Also like one of us could die. Like, I don't know. Right. And like, right. if, if say I died, like my ghost isn't going to be mad that my partner finds a new wife or something, you know, I'm going to be like, cool, right. good for you. Like, that's so nice. Like my great uncle, um, not by blood. It was my, my auntie Jean's, uh, husband after she passed, he was so worried about, um, even he, well, I mean, different generation. <laughs> he was born in the thirties, but he was like a woman asked him to dance at a, <laughs> a like <laughs> swing bar. It was like jazzy swing music. And he was like afraid to, to, to dance. Um, you know, and then like, finally he, he did go out with this one lady and like, now he's just her 90 and she's like in her late eighties and they're like teenagers in love. And, you know, it doesn't mean that they didn't love their previous partners. Right. 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 Like you can just find love multiple times throughout your life. And I do believe that there are people are, we're meant to be with for certain amounts of time or cross paths with, um, but I don't believe in one soul mate, you know, it's like, I believe in Mm -hmm. multiple kindred spirits. Yeah. I believe in multiple soulmates. A lot of my spiritual friends will say we have multiple soulmates and then we have our twin flame that that's our, the ultimate soulmate that you end up with. But I'm very much of the belief of just multiple soulmates. I love that you brought up that point of just ending up with someone like that a bisexual woman would end up with a man because you're taking someone's narrative and putting it on someone else. So that's just false from the beginning. Like it makes no sense. And I've never thought of it that way. You know, I'd love to think that these myths have been busted and all this information is out there. We did it. We've evolved. We did it. Uh, You know, if it didn't happen before, it happened after this podcast. Yeah, right now uh, we did it. This episode. (laughs) It's busted. Work is done. The end. (laughs) 
I know. And but I'm always having to remind myself like what uh what a bubble I live in where because I choose to be friends with people who are more uh accepting and more uh progressive and fluid and you know really just open to the idea that anyone can be anything and it's valid uh that I forget that there's still just so many in the community who who struggle with this so I hope hearing more of these stories and experiences help to uh, combat that so people can just be true to themselves and, you know, not get so caught up in uh, other people's ignorance, I guess. Is that the way to put it? Yeah. Or just outside forces. Yeah. In general, you know? Yeah. No, I fully agree. Everyone should just do what they want. Um, But also... Get a COVID test before you do what you want. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Take it's... that FaceTime date and, you know, vet and be safe. I just wish and I hope that people pivot and actually start treating this, like, extra caution um, as a normal thing. Because I was thinking about yeah. how, you know, people are like, oh, well, don't worry. I got a COVID test. And like, I checked for COVID before I went out on the state. And I'm like, imagine if everyone did that with STDs as well. Like, yes. Um, right. Like, you know, wow. now we're normalizing, okay, getting tested and making sure we're healthy before we all fuck each other. And it's like, great. But also like, let's do that for like everything. Maybe like, I don't know. It's amazing how, um, how much shame there is around that. And now people don't talk about it. And they should make STD tests free. I mean, I know some different types are, and there are some places that you can go maybe in the U.S. I, I don't know. Oh, right, right. Okay. It's different in the U.S. That's the other thing with, like, Canadians. I was like, you have no excuse. I was right. like, yeah. it's free. <laughs> go. Like, I yeah. honestly, but it's a good, like, meter as well. Uh, you know, I I straight up, like, and I also just because, like, I – I guess I was 29 at the time, but I was like, you know, and I'm almost 30. And like when I met my partner, I was like, literally, I need you to get a test and show me like when was the last time you were tested. And I just like, like flat out said that. And I was like, here's when I was, here's mine. Great. Um, and I was like, I don't give a fuck. Cause like, I was like, if this, if this person, you know, reacts weirdly, then I just know it's not the right person. And I don't know. Some people think it takes the romanticism out of things, but I'm like, no, I don't think it does. Like if someone's, I think it's almost more romantic that someone's to like turn willing on. to put, yeah, to willing to put your safety first. Discernment. I love it. I really do hope. I think it will carry over maybe into just like overall safety with dating after this pandemic. I hope people wear masks on the subway forever. Mm-hmm. That part. Oh my gosh. I know. I actually kind That's of my love. Hope. I will. Oh, I will. T- I kind of love wearing a mask all the time now because a it's the coldest month of the year here in Toronto, Canada. Oh, it's great in winter. Yes. Yeah. My face is warm. My lips have not Mm -hmm. been chapped once. Every time I walk the dog, my lips would get super chapped in the winter. And I'm like, this is amazing. My face is protected. (laughs) Um, also get cat called a lot less now. Although now when I do, it's like quite shocking. I'm like, really, really? Like people must be really desperate because I was like, I am in a very like weird sweat suit outfit that's like has mustard stains on it and you can't even see my face and my hair yeah. is washed in three days really <laughs> in like april or march april like after lockdown we were just starting to come out cat calling was just not happening on my street where it normally happens so much and it is happening again but like 
Yeah, you're not getting like chased down the block if you like ignore someone anymore. Or like I even fake coughed recently to get a man to Ooh, leave me alone. Nice. And it worked. I pretended to have a huge coughing fit and lowered my mask. I was outside to like cough oh. like even more dramatically into my hand and like arm. And he walked away. <laughs> That is such a hot tip. Yes, do that. My wife is always, if somebody is getting too close to her, even like in a store when everybody has a mask on, she'll just like start coughing so that people back away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a good one. I used to, when I was in the subway, if a man was being very strange to me or trying to talk to me, sometimes I would pull out, this is like pre-AirPods, you know, this is... uh, Gosh, I probably didn't even have an iPod back then. But <laughs> what was I playing? A disc man? Probably. Um, I would take out my headphones and, like, put them on and then, like, have them on my lap, like, on, like, one of my textbooks or something, like, not plugged into anything. And then just, like, right. and I was insane and, like, pretend I was listening to music. Oh, and I'd, like, sing yes. along oh, to, like, yeah. nothing to get people to leave me alone. Now I can just cough. Amazing. Natasha, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Where can people follow you on social media if they're not already? Or are there any projects that you would love to direct them to that they should watch? Yeah, I I too started a podcast like every other asshole in quarantine did. Um, <laughs> it's called Vanless Presents. It's the podcast nobody asked for. And it's just real talk with me. Natasha Nago Van Listen Friends. Um, nice. it's, well, uh, it's a, it's a believe time. it or not, the people who listen to this love podcasts. So this is a great place to plug it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Great. Okay. Well, listen to my podcast where I just talk to people who are more interesting than me. And, uh, and then also you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nat Van List, V-A-N-L-I-S. Perfect. Thank awesome. you so Thank much you for so much. diking out with us. If you'll take the term. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I biked, biked, biked. Out Actually, you. a listener sent me a hat that says bike and I love it. I love <laughs> that. Yeah. With a yeah. Y. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I love it. I've worn it to all the queer spaces since then. Yes. <laughs> Just it. It does so much so quick, so efficiently. I love it. Fuck yeah. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Well, it was a pleasure biking out. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was fantastic. So okay, I'll stop talking now. Goodbye. <laughs> I just want to say that if you aren't following her already, definitely give Natasha a follow because in addition to all of her acting and performing, she does a lot of great activism work and is just like a really cool person. For anybody wondering, you know, what's Natasha like in real life? Lovely. So lovely. Lovely and cool and doing good stuff and definitely someone you should be aware of if you weren't already, but we know so many of you are Carmilla stands and are like, uh, duh, who doesn't know who she is? <laughs> well, I didn't until my first time at Clexicon, okay? <laughs> yeah, so hard to get off the Zoom call. Just a really cool person. I was holding yeah. my pee until it hurt after the <laughs> after the interview. We chatted for a while, and that's that's someone you really want to be friends with. That's how we know when to stop talking. It's when uh, Malady's bladder waves the white flag. <laughs> I know. And ever since I got my soda stream, these interviews have been <laughs> so much more painful in that way. But just the mark of a good guest. <laughs> Let's get into our listener question. A new roommate moved into my seven-person big college party house. At first, the two remember of- those days. 
<laughs> I've actively repressed them, absolutely. Um, at first, the two of us had a really good connection. She seemed really fun, and I just vibed with her. We started hanging out and began getting pretty close, and I was really excited since I certainly haven't made any new friends since the plague started. I have a lovely girlfriend who I've been in a relationship with for over a year now, and things are pretty serious. My roommate knows this and was getting to be good friends with her, too. So anyway, my new roommate confronted me last week, asserting that I had, quote, tried to kiss her. Yikes. I was absolutely shocked because I had no idea what I had done to make her think that. I had never made any advances, never had any romantic feelings for her, and certainly did not want to kiss her. I still don't think I did anything that would suggest that I wanted to be with her. But she seems really hurt, really uncomfortable, and betrayed. I asked her why she thought I had wanted to kiss her, and she said, I could see it in your face. Oh my god. I can't help but react. Okay, sorry. I, I, I didn't edit this question down just because it's like the details here are what? needed. I could see it in your face. Obviously, this didn't make any... You know what? She probably has been watching too many gay movies, this straight girl played by straight actresses. She's like, I saw that longing. I know that uh, you looked at me for a long time, so you obviously right. wanted to end up with me behind our husband's backs. Okay. You were um, staring at me from two football fields away yeah. for too long a time. <sighs> Eye contact. You know that harassment. Okay. Obviously, this didn't make any sense to me. She t she also told all of my other roommates before she talked to me. Gasp. I told her that she was being lesophobic. Love it. And she simply said, I'm bi. I'm gay, too. <laughs> yes, add that inflection to it, Melody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is too much. As if a queer person can't be homophobic. Say that. She had PTSD and has been the victim of abuse on many occasions, which makes this whole situation very delicate. Okay, <sighs> now I feel like an asshole for laughing. <laughs> I feel as though she thinks I'm a predatory lesbian, but I truly, honestly, genuinely never did anything. This makes me so scared to make any female friends, and I just don't know where to go from here. I don't want straight or bi girls to think I want them just because of my sexual identity. Any advice? Oh, boy. There is uh, a lot here. Yeah. And I totally understand why this is a delicate situation because you don't want to invalidate this person's feelings. But my take on it is you say, look, we're good friends. And I'm so sorry that you might have experienced something one way. But I'm telling you, honestly as your friend, that I don't have feelings for you. I didn't try to kiss you. I think it must be a misunderstanding. And if you can trust me on that, then there's no reason to feel hurt or to feel threatened. I love my girlfriend. I hope we can be friends, but I'm really at a loss of what to do because I don't want to do anything to make you feel uncomfortable. And I really can't think of what I would have done just... I think be really honest while also not trying to make her feel like she's being gaslit, I guess, because yeah, it sounds like it's definitely about something else. I'm sure that it was nothing you did and that they have 
some type of issue. Uh, my thought is also because this does sound kind of extreme. Uh, yeah, it's important to note this is an extreme <laughs> case. Um, and as you move forward in your life, making friends with straight or bi girls, this probably won't be an issue to this degree, right? Yes. This yeah. Is right. I wouldn't be afraid to be friends with people because of this instance. I, th- I think this person obviously has some issues to work through. Is it also crazy that I think that maybe there's a chance that she said that just to get a reaction yes. and maybe has I think feelings? She has, I think she's the one. I was good. I was waiting to say this. Okay. I think she wants to kiss you. Yes. Because the like mental gymnastics I'm seeing here, like, or just the yeah. making this such a big deal. Like there's something else there. I think um, that that's what it is. I think because that sounds like I know people who would pull a move like that yeah. and be like, who like someone and then they're like, you tried to kiss me just to get the reaction and maybe feel out the waters. It, like a very bad way to go about it. Terrible. Would never recommend that. Yeah. Uh, and then when you were like, no, absolutely not. I don't have feelings for you. Then she was really then, hurt. That's and the rejection. Kind of, double down and it's the rejection and it's not really her being mad at thinking that you were like being predatory that, you know, and, and then the whole thing of like, well, I'm by two, like sexuality has nothing to do with what, what just happened here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a real, lack of social skills (laughs) yeah i I mean if it if it is the case where she wasn't just like testing the waters in a weird and and wrong way um then i think you're right in thinking that is lesbophobic i remember when my college roommate freshman year found out i was gay she said to a friend of mine on the hall like well what if she like stares at me when i like get out of the shower and i just have my towel wrapped around me in the room and i was like do not flatter yourself honey i am definitely not checking you out Uh, (laughs) and you know people make those kind of comments and i did nothing to ever imply and lo and behold, drunk at a bar uh, one night, this person tried to make out with don't, me. So don't you know it. Like, I had a roommate you know once it. who was, like, just the straightest party girl. Like, yep, yep, yep. It's always them. And she knew I was gay. She... It's weird. Nothing. There was never weirdness until she found this out. And then she was the one. It's like suddenly she was so naked all the time. And she was like, <laughs> like, can you help me with this? Like come, calling me into her room to like help zip her up. And it was very obvious because she was just this party girl and was just drunk. Like I could tell she was trying to get my attention because some girls just love attention, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it could be maybe. Maybe she has like PTSD and it's like her. Yes, that is like a delicate situation. But I've just encountered a lot of straight or maybe deep down by curious girls who a lot of it, it's it's on them. They're trying to navigate <laughs> the situation and like gauge whether or not you're attracted to them because they might be working through their own questioning of their own queerness. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, as we just talked about in this episode, if, if she's bi, there could be a chance that she's dealing with like a lot of a lot of feelings around like what that means for her and what that means for her to have these relationships and how she might be afraid of how she's being perceived and judged. And um, that all goes to say it's something going on with her and rest assured it's nothing you did. And it's it happens uh, to a lot of us that there's always some type of incident like this, but they're few and far between and don't let that scare you off of uh, female friendships, which can be wonderful. Yeah. I don't want straight or bi girls to think I want them. I just want to address that. Like that chance is always there more <laughs> with like making friends with gay girls. Especially. <laughs> like it's just like going to be a thing, you know, always yeah. too. There's always like, I'm still always to a degree when I meet, a new girl, queer or not, like just have to sit back and think, wait, am I attracted to this person? Like, yeah. and like, if once I find out they're queer, I'm like, wait, am I? Cause you just, cause there's a, it's a scarcity mentality. Right. Right. And be like, Oh, I'm, am I giving off vibes? And I don't, re- cause I don't even realize that when I'm giving off vibes with men, uh, yeah. and like, I don't, I don't know how to purposefully flirt. So I think it happens accidentally with me sometimes. And I'm like, I wonder how many people really think that I might have been flirting with them when I definitely wasn't. Oh, tons. I'm just like a natural flirt. And yeah, I don't really realize it. But like, if you were to look at past, so many past interactions objectively hitting on people. And now I'm like, fuck, I am this predator. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note... If you want to follow uh, this predatory dyke, I'm at TGI Carolyn. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Be a predator on my social media. I'm at Melody Kamali on all social platforms. And you can follow us at Diking Out on Instagram and on Twitter and at Diking Out Pod on TikTok. You don't stop. <laughs> I was like, well, is she doing a Donald Trump? And then you said, you know, so, the opposite. TikTok. TikTok, you don't stop. See you there. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.